Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spore the Warning podcast. This is our review of Widows. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This is our second of eight reviews for this weekend. Um, and by this weekend, I mean sometime in the month of December when these episodes come out. Um, yeah, we're trying to record everything that we can because we're going to be traveling, moving, traveling, more traveling, and just kind of trying to be... <laughs> we we may well not have another weekend together until January. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, I think that this is this year, I feel like somehow there are not as many... I think last year there were like... 27 films that came out in the last week of December. Yeah. Well, I also think we caught a lot of pre-screen and festival things this year, too. That is also Like, a, true, a few yeah. of the things that are coming out late, we are getting to get, like, pretty early versions of. Like, On the Basis of Sex is supposed to come out Christmas, I think. We already got that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure movies we are watching early screens of this week, too, are coming out at Christmas. So I think yeah, we got yeah. a little lucky there. Yeah. So, so... Yeah, we're we're doing everything we can to catch up and drop a bunch of things for you, but it's just it's nice that in this month at the end of the year where we ended up having a lot of plans that conflicted with recording, we have already either seen or reviewed these films and we can just put them out as time goes on. And now the magic little elf that does all the editing, we can just <laughs> let them do it and we don't have to worry about it. Fuck that guy, right? <laughs> yeah, that magic little elf. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're here to talk about Widows, which is a film that I think we were all very, very excited to see. Yeah, um, it's been getting a lot of buzz. It was an exciting trailer. Uh, this is one of those things too, where I feel like I feel like lately we get like a trailer that comes out, and then a week or two later that film is out. This one, mm-hmm. I feel like the trailer has been out for a while, and we've been kind of seeing it every once in a while between a few things. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so what do you say, Stephen? We just heist into it. And I don't Let, know. Let's, <laughs> let's prove them we got the ovaries to pull this off. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for Widows, and we're going to come back and give you a review. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life... Now becomes about yours. <laughs> like a leaf clings to a tree. Something happened tonight, something bad. Mr. Mulligan, your family's been involved in Harry's life for many years. I need help. I don't see what I can do. Husbands aren't coming back. We're on our own. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. That's what I've learned from men like your late husband and my father is that you reap what you sow. Let's hope so. This is for guns. Guns? From where? Figure it out. If this whole thing goes wrong, I want my kids to know that I didn't just sit there and take it. I did something.
best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. All right, so that was the trailer for Widows, um, like the film's name sort of hints. Uh, This is the story of the widows of a group of men who do a bunch of heists together. They do crimes, uh, as Chappie would say. (laughs) And uh, in their latest crime that they tried to do, they were gunned down and killed by the police. And now the person they stole from is sort of coming to talk to the wife the wife of the leader of that group and is like, hey, your husband, God rest his soul. Henry Rawlings. (laughs) Stole uh, $2 million from us. You owe us those $2 million. The wife finds a booklet that talks about the next heist that was going to happen. And uh, she decides to rally the widows together to try to pull off this heist um, and try to get themselves in a good standing with the people who are kind of bothering them. Um, Stephen Miller, what did you think of this film? So I don't want to go to too much hyperbole because a lot of good was surrounding this movie. It, I wasn't feeling great and I snuck out on Thanksgiving evening and watched this movie after a, like a, a wonderful day. But, you know, there were lots of little kids around. There's lots of like noise and distraction and going into a movie theater, having silence and then having like a badass movie come on. I was just in the right mindset right <laughs> off the bat for, for this movie. And... I loved this movie. I thought from the moment the movie opened, I was just like, I am in the hands of a filmmaker who knows what they want to do. Every scene is going to mean something. Every shot is going to be well thought out. I'm going to enjoy this ride while actors just act their fucking asses off. And that is exactly what I got. I I thought this was a great movie. And I, I don't think it's great because there are like, plot mechanics that I was guessing or foretelling that came to pass or didn't come to pass. I just thought it was such a enjoyable film to watch. I think, like, the cast is phenomenal. I think the world it builds is my favorite part. I think we never recorded our review of White Boy Rick. We were going to do it. But th- this movie basically just, like, puts the White Boy Ricks of the world to shame. Like, the idea of, like, this <laughs> the seedy, the seedy underground world where politics and crime are sort of mixed and, like, a person getting caught up in it, like... This is a movie about a heist, and it happens to do the sociopolitical stuff like 10 times better than most other movies I've seen this year, just on the side. Like, I, I, I thought it was so, so, so good. I, I was reminded kind of of the, how I felt when I saw The Departed in theaters for the first time, which is like, this is treading familiar ground. This is not like a heady drama. This is a action-packed, you know, violent adult fair and yet it just feels so like masterfully done. And I feel like if if The Departed was kind of like the Mafia Soprano style, this is The Wire, which is like about systems and about the blurring of good and evil and how like both sides seeking power are kind of gross and kind of evil. And it it was just a fucking badass movie. I don't know. I, I just really liked it. There are there's so many shots that I loved in this movie. There's one where Colin Farrell is having a conversation with his associate on the campaign trail. And the whole conversation, we see it from in front of the car. Like the camera is just watching from the front while they go on. And it's panning to his black driver while he is having some like very not pleasant racial conversations. But <laughs> there are just so many little things where I feel like the movie is like winking at you or the camera is like one step ahead of wherever you are. And yeah, 
I, I don't know. I, I thought Elizabeth Debicki was awesome as like the giant woman reasserting herself. Daniel Kaluuya is such a good bad guy in this movie. Like it, when you don't give him dialogue, he's amazing. Yeah, I know he's so good. Like, and I haven't fully been on his like the the bandwagon. Like, I didn't love him in Black Panther. I kind of felt like he was. I thought he was in there. awful in Black Panther. Um, I, I I thought he was totally good in Get Out, but that was also such a specific role where he's just reacting to things. Yeah, it, it, it was strange because like coming out of that, I was like, this guy's amazing, and then seeing him in Black Panther was kind of like, oh, maybe just. The role is what mm-hmm. made everything about his performance, but I think this film proves that yeah, like he, he does have it. the chops. Yeah. Um, it just makes me wonder like how his character was that strange in Black Panther. Yeah, like, like there's a scene of him with two guys rapping, which is chilling and great, and another scene of him watching television. Like he, the things he's doing while the camera is looking at him and not at where the mayhem is. It's just he's so cool. I I, I just thought this this movie was so so good. I don't even really know what more I want to say about it. Like, I think Viola Davis is rad. I think that the heist premise isn't the point to me. Like, the heist is there, and it takes up some time of the movie, like, I don't know, 25 minutes or whatever, and then them vaguely planning takes more. But in general, this is just a movie that is, like, building up this world of the kind of seedy district of Chicago and the bad politics that are happening and the gang violence and the double-crossing. And it just builds that world so well, I would have watched them do anything. Like, I don't really care about the plausibility of the wives performing a heist or not i just wanted to live in steve mcqueen's universe and i i loved it i thought it was great yeah i mean i i i think so much of this film is amazing like i really loved like in any film like this like even even take uh oceans eight right where we see these scenes with each of the characters who will take part in the heist and it's like this scene is supposed to encompass everything about who this character is this film in the moment, like, the way we are introduced to the husbands who will die shortly after the yeah. opening of this film, they are presented where it's not even a scene to tell you everything we need to know about that that personality. It's a shot yeah. that shows you everything that makes up who that character is. The ones who are the, theoretically the most upstanding people, the ones who are, like, the seediest, the ones who are the most violent towards their, their partner, like, they're, like... There are these moments where like it doesn't even take it doesn't even give you the time to settle into who that character is. You just see a shot and then it leaves and you're like, oh, I I I know who that person is. Um, and th- th- so the scene that you were talking about with being outside of the car that that's the shot of moving from the one location to the other, right? Yeah. Where he's in the bad district yep. of town and he literally drives like three blocks to his fucking mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it. It is an amazing scene and it's amazing because you almost don't know it's happening as it's happening. It's just him complaining about like all the work he's doing to make sure like I'm doing all this good to build these things for these low income houses and stuff like that. And then as the car moves, it's just bigger and bigger houses are just cropping yeah. up. And you realize that this is like if you could walk in a straight line, it's a quarter of a mile. But the disparity between where he's giving the speech to try to get reelected for some like bullshit campaign that he's doing, the, the distinction between where he is and his home slash campaign headquarters yeah. is it, it like I, I really love that scene as well. Um, all the performances that you said are great in this film. Um, the this film builds tension in an amazing way where it's like. The you know at any moment like a character could just kill another character, but you also know they're trying to accomplish a thing, which is the only reason that person's not dead yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like you just you feel dread. Dread is built perfectly. Like basically, almost every ounce of this film is amazing. 
<laughs> is it twists that we have a problem with? It is twists that I have a huge, incredible problem with. Mm. Um, I I think that you could remove some things that happened towards the end of this film, and this film would not only be a better film, but it would not change at all the progression of certain characters. I, I think I agree. Yeah, it, it just there was something about where I was like. Uh, okay, but why? Like you and I had uh, like a sort of a short text conversation after you had finally gotten to see because I had sort of was trying not to allude to something, and I, I like we both thought one thing, which would have been enough of a twist just oh, yeah. to add complication to the scenario, and then it just sort of takes it some other place that I don't understand. Like I understand that that it makes the journey for a single character more important. And it makes that character's decisions and choices they have to make even stronger. But it does absolutely nothing for any other character in the story or even the plot as a whole within the, the film. Like, the not the plot as a whole, but, like, the universe. Like, everything that is going on in the world is theoretically unaffected by the moments towards the end of this film. Yeah. And it just... It, it went from being this amazing powerhouse film to a me, like putting my hands in there going like, but why? <laughs> and I, it's like, this would be an amazing, could make end of year list film. And then it just, it trips on the dismount. And I just, I, it's hard for me to celebrate it when I'm so confused by the choices that are made. Like why this brings us to this point. So I, I will say, I didn't mind any of the twists at all. Like, they all got me good. They did what they were supposed to do for me. Like, I had that moment of, ah, you got me, you know? But I, I also don't think they needed to be there. Um, I do know this was based off of a, loosely based off a film series in the UK in the 80s by the same name. Kind of like The Departed is loosely based off of a series. Um, and in that TV series, the same twist occurs. So there, there might be like some homaging or whatever that made it quote necessary to do. Um, I don't know. I, I just didn't care. Like I think we'll go into it in spoilers because it's hard to talk about before yeah. then. Um, I think what what was represented to this character remains exactly the same, no matter how literal one takes the twist or not. Like, like to me, I don't think it it really matters. It doesn't detract from the movie. But I, I hear you. I think this movie could have had, like, zero twists and still been totally fine. Yeah. I do think, though, there's so much, which I think we can at least allude to without spoilers, that just gives, like, meat to all of these characters, the backstories. Like, uh, we learn a lot about Viola Davis and Liam Neeson's relationship and the history that they had and, like, their their romance and their son and... There's just so many things that this movie this movie is not afraid to wade into like really interesting social territory, yeah. and it, it just does it so confidently. Like, I love the distinction between Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall. Like Robert Duvall is his dad, who has been the the steward or whatever they're called of the eighth ward. <laughs> I don't remember any of the words, but he's yeah. he's the guy. It's like a fairly low political position, but it's enough to get kickbacks and do all the like half power in the city. Yeah. Um, his dad has been doing this forever, and his dad is, like, a, just a fucking racist piece of shit, right? Like, the movie is unafraid to make him be that yeah. out of the gate. Colin Farrell is not a good guy in the movie by any means. Like, you don't look at him and think, oh, that is a good guy. But he has his own, like, generational feud with his dad where he kind of 
hates his dad for the same reasons we hate him. Yeah. And then you would think like there would be a good guy and a bad guy. So you'd think like, oh, well, if Colin Farrell and his family are the, are the bad guys, the good guys are going to run against them. But no, the people running against him are the ma- the, like the gangsters, right? And, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the villains of this movie are both sides at the same time. And I just thought that there was a really cool dynamic there where like the city is corrupt and there's like different tensions overlapping where you're, you're not allied to anyone, but like you kind of see their motives for wanting different things. And it, it was just so like effortlessly done to me in a movie that is still a fun action movie that is not like a, a slog of a drama or anything. Yeah. I did, but, I just thought it nailed all that so well. And it's also really interesting, too, because even when, like, so as you said, the, the quote, people who would be sort of the good guy to Robert Duvall's character's bad guy is the gangsters. Yeah. But the gangsters have a, a honest to God, good reason to try to overthrow his character. Yeah. And it's like they spend 15 minutes describing why their decision to do things is for the greater good and how they want to improve the society. And they have to overthrow this regime that has basically ruled for years and they don't want to make it a dynasty. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm on your side. And then they go, also, it makes like 400 grand a year and I got to get paid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, I'm gonna hold this puppy by the scruff of its (laughs) neck. Yeah, and it's like when, like you, you see this thing where it's like this character, while other people are there, you are like on his side, like you want him to win, and then you realize that like he doesn't necessarily care about the district. He's just like, look, I'm getting old. I can't really do gangster stuff too much longer. What if I got like a job that gave me the same power as being a gangster? but also paid me 400 grand a year. Yep. It's just it's, it's a really interesting way of making everything sort of on on like this this gray level of like who's doing the greater good for the people like <laughs> it, it, it was it was a really interesting way to kind of juxtapose those two archetypes of characters mm-hmm. um and it just it it yeah, this film does so many interesting things. And, and like, I, I know you've had it hammered a million times that you have to watch The Wire, but, like, this is what The Wire does so well, too, is, like, you have, in The Wire, you have the police, who are predominantly white, and you have the gangsters, who are predominantly black. And as the show progresses, you see both institutions having corrupt people on top and people with good ideals, quote, and things that they represent for their community. And, like, the blurring of all the lines is a thing that, like, this movie did in two hours what, like, TV series have tried over years to do. Yeah. And I, I just think it did it so well. And part of that is Brian Tyree Henry, who plays the the head gangster who is running for office. He he was in If Beale Street Could Talk, too. Um, oh, yeah, he, he's the, the friend of... Yeah, the he, yeah he's the yeah. friend who has that long monologue. Um, yeah, that's right. And in, in both of these movies, he's just so good at, like, the slow, cool, impassioned speech. Like, there's a scene early in this movie where Colin Farrell confronts him trying to get him to step out of the race and like this is not a movie about politics but that is like one of the best political scenes i've seen all year that was just i was ready to watch a movie just about like their election right yeah, like, yeah. because there's just so much like intensity brought to the screen and i don't know it's just an intense movie yeah, we, even, even out of the gate like it it starts like the the scenes you talked about where we're introduced to the the wives via their husbands that is like such an intense first five minutes of the movie like so much happens in quick succession and yeah like i i don't know you just feel (laughs) like husbands are immediately dead and you're like oh okay yeah it's like this is a a real movie i don't know this this is like a guy who just knows what he wants to say and is like all right fuck it let's let's go right now yeah yeah i i will say though the like the only 
it's not even a downside, but like the one thing, because they were doing this amazing thing with introducing the wives through the interaction with the husbands who were about to have them taken away, um, because they spend that time doing that and immediately thrust us into that story, we don't see how uh, Liam Neeson's character was supposedly connected with the community in a way that like other people would be attending that funeral, right? Um, we don't, we don't, we don't understand that. We just see that like apparently he was a big deal to not crime people. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of wish there was more understanding there other than uh, Colin Farrell like s- talking about him in a way like your husband was a good man. Um. Yeah. No, no, it's true because I, I kind of wanted to know how that how that machine works, right? Where Liam Neeson, who is, as far as we know, his only job is criminal. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did he get that kind of funeral? You know, with, with the respect of all these people. Yeah, it it, it was interesting. I just, I kind of like that we didn't get all those details. It it felt like such a rich world that we're only given a couple hours in that I really enjoyed. It made me want to it made me want to go rewatch Heat again because it feels like it is homaging Heat very directly a few times. Um yeah, so that's on I'm, my list. I'm now. smiling because I'm like the one person in the world who doesn't love Heat with all their heart. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna we're gonna watch it after this. <laughs> we got nowhere to be. Um yeah. <laughs> do you uh do you want to get into verdicts that we can get into spoilers? Sure. All right, uh, so Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, record with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm giving it a must-see. I already told Chris earlier that of the eight movies we're talking about tonight, this was my favorite. Um, I I just loved it. I, I was just, I felt like electrified by it when I watched it. I just like, <laughs> I walked out of the theater just being like, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I can't I can't undo that feeling. I think... Steve McQueen definitely did not go for the high oscar drama this time. He went for the jolting, adult, violent, gritty affair, and I, I just think he nails it. So, yeah, I'm all on board on this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I really wish that I could give this a must-see. Um, it's so damn fucking close to being a must-see, but it's like I, I just was so like, huh, but why at the end of this film that it sort of took away. And even while I'm saying but why, I know but why for a character, um, but it just kind of, it took, like, this is so much a, like, mini ensemble of women who are doing this thing together and one of them sort of just makes the rest of them inconsequential mm-hmm. and it sort of like it, it just took away from the overall thing that i'm watching and made me question certain things that it like dips it down from a must see to just a high recommend of the caveat um and also other people might not have the problem with the, with the ending of the film that i do so um yeah so it's it's hard for me to like knock it down too much but for me it drops from a must see to a recommend of the caveat Cool. Um, well, we're going to close out the episode, That at least the normal part of the episode. Music will fade up. When the music fades out, we will be in full-blown spoilers. So, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Widows, so hopefully you're enjoying that. Um, yeah, as I said, music is about to fade up, and when it fades out, we will be in full-blown spoilers, so watch out, or you might get a surprise gunshot to the face. Oh, shit.
All right, so we are back. This is the after show, uh, the after part of the episode for our review of Widows. We are talking full-blown spoilers for Widows. So please, please be careful. If you haven't seen the film already, go see it. Come back. It got positive enough reviews in this episode that you should not be listening to this until after you've seen the film. Spoiler time, first of all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the big twist of this film is that Liam Neeson faked his death. Yeah. And is also staying with one of the women who knows. But so not only did he fake his death, but he murdered the other people in his group. So yeah. he only faked his death, but actually yeah, he basically killed. cut a deal. He cut a deal with the mayoral-ish prospect Colin yeah. Farrell to get out of the game, fake fake his death in a way that let him, I presume, show that he was tough on crime. And get kickbacks of half the money because he wants to start a new life with his secret child with that woman. But he, in a theory, so if there wasn't a child that came from infidelity involved in the situation, he could have theoretically had all of the guys faken all of their deaths. <laughs> And all participated in sharing of some cut of the money. Yeah, so he's just a greedy bad guy. Like that <laughs> that that is like a theme of this movie is like men suck. All all men in this movie are terrible. But so so here here's here's the question though, right? What was Liam Neeson's plan? His wife was gonna find the book and immediately sell it because she's not smart enough to want to like he really didn't think that the person he stole $2 million from wouldn't come after his next of kin? No, so the problem... The, the problem is when he rigged that explosion, a lot of the money disintegrated. So, like, the plan was for the money to be left to be split evenly among, like, him and Colin Farrell. But the way the plan worked, he couldn't grab enough of it. Like, there's a conversation on a boat where they talk about, like, he was supposed to get, like... Four million or something to split it two and two, and he only managed to snag like one or something. But, and so Colin Farrell needs more money. He needs to pay him off, otherwise he's going to reveal that he's still alive. But he also meets with Viola Davis and says, "You weren't supposed to actually do the job. You were just supposed to sell the book." Yeah, because so, the book was just for her to get clean, like her to get even. It wasn't for her to make him money. The book was like the contingency plan. Yeah, but you would think that like if he had enough money. He could have somehow, like, all he would have to do is have a lawyer show up with a bag of money and say, like, your husband said that if he ever passed away that you were supposed to get this money, right? Like, he wouldn't have to set up this weird, silly, elaborate plan where, like, I would leave you this book that you would just not look at more than to know that it's a book that would be worth money. And also, why did the friend, who was clearly the person who was supposed to tell her how she could sell the book... Why was he, did he backstab him? Like, oh, I'm not going to tell her about the book. But then when people come beat the shit out of him, he's like, oh, there's a book. No, like, I think he doesn't know. He was just been entrusted with that key or whatever. Like, he's been told to deliver it to her. Yeah, it just seems like there's like a series of nested things that are irrelevant. Like, there's a much better way to have handled all of these situations, right? Yeah, I agree. It would be fine if he wasn't still alive. It yeah. would be totally fine if, like, he hadn't faked it. I, I just don't really care. Like, the... The thing I like about him faking it is it gets, it gives the movie another different layer, which is like his, why did he choose to leave, you know? 
and their whole backstory with their kid and him like being able to start this new life right with a son who isn't going to have any of that trouble um it's just like an interesting thing that the movie managed to throw in. I, I don't think it is the point of the movie or like of the most consequence to the movie, but I, I liked it for that reason. Like it gave you a cool goosebump moment. I agree plot wise, like it's more hairy for it being included. Yeah. It would be way easier for him to just be dead. It just seems super crazy that like it's one of those things where like some films, like I, I, I praised. Um, I praise the film A Simple Favor for how ridiculous the plot gets, right? But that is a film that is not trying to be serious. That is a film that is playful, that is trying to give you insane plot beats that you can't really accept as real because it's supposed to be heightened real and sort of like silly and playful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the, the backstory that you learn about Anna Kendrick's character in that film is clearly supposed to be just trashy and... And sort of like a fun little enjoyable ride. Yeah. This is supposed to be like very, very serious. And this, like I'm supposed to believe that one man is somehow friends with his, it's almost like if Batman was friends with the Joker and was like, okay, Joker, how about we do this one last job and you kill all of your henchmen and then you fake your death. And then I celebrate the fact that you're dead. But then we take the money that you would get from that, and then we like it. Just you're you're already at the point where you're like, that's halfway through how ridiculous this plot is, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to accept all of that. It just, it yeah. just it just seemed like a thing where if it was literally just that she got this book, and it was the book of all his plans, and then decided to do this job so that she could get well on her own, um, that's a good enough story in and of itself. But by having to add all this nested backstory about this man who's afraid he's going to lose to this new rising person from the community that he's sort of stiffing and then decides to, like, take a complete other character who is sort of the one making him look bad and get him to do a job that will hurt his opponent and fake his own death so that he can celebrate killing him and tell his wife that, like, I'm really sorry your husband's dead even though I'm stoked because it makes me look better. Mm. Like, there's just so many things that make the story overly complicated that I start to like just put my hands up and go like, look, you had me in the first five minutes mm-hmm. and then you start doing all this stuff. And it just makes me wonder how that added, how the complexity adds to making this a better story. And in my opinion, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it just clouds the journey that I'm on. I, obviously Viola Davis having to shoot Liam Neeson at the end of this film is hugely impactful. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I go like, but literally nobody knows this happened. And like, there's no fallout from it. All. Right, which is why the reveal didn't have to happen because it's so contained to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all that. I just did, I didn't mind it one bit and I liked the avenues that it opened up. I, I like her getting to shoot him. I like the flashbacks being a little more meaningful, like the idea that he chose to leave so it was hurtful rather than her like avenging him. Yeah. Because um, that's kind of subtext anyway. Like the, this movie is not the hoorah, let's avenge our husbands movie. Like even before we find out Liam Neeson d- like survived, he we just know he probably sucked, right? Like, <laughs> like we don't need to know if he cheated. We don't even know anything. You just have a feeling that like these men are kind of awful husbands, and like. But he seems like the one who's he like he seems he has like passion the, at least. He, he he has passion, but he also seems like the one who like is semi level headed, 
and that as a necessary evil worked with these really shitty men and that like he did in theory love Viola Davis and like um he was protective of her and he had contingencies in place for if he ever was killed during a job she would be okay mm-hmm. um and i just feel like i feel like for a man who planned everything down to this written book with every single possible contingency plan set in there it seems crazy to me that he would endanger his wife's uh, his, his, whether or not he's trying to walk out on his wife, yeah. it just seems crazy that he would put her life that much in jeopardy. Like it's just one of those things where, like, if he legitimately died, then yes, I believe it. If he faked his own death, it seems so irresponsible of him, mm-hmm. and it seems like he would have known that they would have come after the wife. And then if you're like, well, he was supposed to sell the book, well, it's like, well, then did the other guy sc- like then it just becomes like it starts to fall apart the yeah, more why that not I make think it about easier. it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I just don't care. That's just how it feels. <laughs> cool. I thought it was great. The twist made me go, <gasps> and I liked it. Nice. Cool. Though um, I would have been happy too if it just revealed infidelity and moved on, like which is what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So we, we we both we both thought that when you see the flask in his in the other woman's apartment, that it's just revealing that. Before he died, he had been having an affair with this woman, mm-hmm. and she storms out um, and doesn't look behind the door. Um, I just assumed that door was a closet and that it was his jacket or something in there that the dog was smelling. Um, but then, like, after she storms off, the woman in the house opens the door and goes like, oh, shit, Liam Neeson's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Um well, is that the end of our review of Widows? I think it is. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go fake our death and get ready for the next episode. We will see you guys in a moment. Boom. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Oh.